Hello, everybody. It's Matt McConkey. I am solo at the moment because Sweet Sweet Dave is a very busy working man, and I am not. But don't worry. He is in the interview, and we're going to get right to it. We had such a great conversation with Connor Franta. He is a YouTube phenomenon and an entrepreneur. Very smart, very accomplished, very cool, very young, under 30, which is upsetting. And you know that I don't always love talking to the YouTubers, but... I love Connor. You're going to love him too. We had a really great conversation. He's got a new memoir out now. It's called House Fires. This is his third memoir. He's already written three memoirs. You can get it wherever you get your books. You're definitely going to want to read it after hearing him today. Without further ado, here is Connor Franta. Connor Franta in a in a in a room full of plantas. There you go. You yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> where are you? I'm at home here in uh, West Hollywood. Ooh, okay. All right. Very good. How is life over there? Our thing is the street life teeming with activity. Weirdly quiet, weirdly calm. Not a lot going on over here, to be honest, which is better than yeah. the alternative of what was happening yeah. like a year ago. But it's it's very quiet. <laughs> I know I went out there. I live on the east side, but I did go to West Hollywood like a two or three weekends ago, and it was packed. Really? I feel yes. like maybe when did you go? Did you go like on a weekend? Like where they. I went on a weekend, like a weekend night, like a fucking, you know, bridge and tunnel person, which essentially I am now. Uh, And do do you ever venture out there? Do you hit the bars? Not during COVID. No, I'll have a rare vulnerable moment where someone will convince me to go to a barish club situation. I've done it a couple of times in the last two years during the pandemic, but not frequently. I don't know how some people are doing it every weekend. It's still scary for me. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Little bit wild. So what have you been doing? During lockdown. During lockdown. I feel like it's been, it doesn't, it, isn't it strange that it just feels like normal now? I was, I had the sickest yeah. thought the other day where I was like, uh, remember the first month of the pandemic where no one was really dying and we were all just like inside and just kind of like panicked but relaxed at the same time? Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm low key nostalgic for it. <laughs> wow. What a time. Yeah, but no. What a time. Yeah. What have you been uh, what have you been watching, listening to, reading, consuming? I mean, lately, I, I feel like we've really dove into the the spooky season of it all. So I've been watching a lot of horror, thrillers, dramas. I watched Midnight Mass on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if you've hey. seen. I no, I have not. How is oh, that? Oh, you haven't yeah. seen. It's from the same director producer that did Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Bly Manor, and it's fantastic. It deals with the spookiest thing of them all, religion. So I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely adored it. thought it was fantastic. Okay. What is your uh, religious background? Uh, I grew up in a Catholic family. I went to a Catholic Catholic school until eighth grade, went to a public high school, and then a Catholic university as well, or private university. So which one? St. John's University in Minnesota, not in New York. There's... Okay. All right. And what's your what is your relationship with uh, Catholicism now? Oh, there isn't one. We're divorced. Right. Yeah. Sure. No. I. It's. It was funny. It's the my. I like. I really love religion, and that I think it's fascinating. I think it's mm-hmm. in in a different life. I would have actually studied global religions or more just like theology in general. I think it's so interesting. But that's where my departure from it occurred. Is when I allowed myself to look past the the storytelling 
fantastical element of it and more look at like the nitty gritty details, really analyzing the text of the Bible. And I was like, oh, this is like a lot of things, A, don't add up here, but B, if they do, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah. 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 That's a little bonkers. And do you think something has taken its place in your adult life? I think I, for a while I was like, I'm going to be full-blown young rebellion atheist and think nothing matters. And then after a while, I like the idea of being more agnostic because who am I to say that God doesn't exist? And who am I to say that God does exist? It's no one knows either of those things definitively. So I like the element of being like, you know what, I'm open to being wrong here, but I'm not going to let sort of the organization of religion or dictate how I live my life or how I treat other people, essentially. So has anything replaced it? No, I think I just I focus more on what I think being a good person is versus what someone tells me being a good person is. There's in Catholicism, there's the rules and there's the doctrine and there's the the ritual and all that kind of thing. And and it's easy to walk away from that. Semi easy to walk away from that. What is harder, I have found, is to identify the cultural Catholic stuff, like the the propensity for like shame and guilt and the idea that like suffering unto itself is like a gift or a noble thing or whatever. And that's that is the stuff that as I move forward in my life, I, I am trying to learn to identify and separate myself from is that how how are you on that journey yeah it's a difficult one i mean especially if it was i I don't think we missed a single church service growing up we like even when we were out of town out of the state you know out of the city whatever it was we would find a catholic church to go to and by no means were we (laughs) like perfect catholics i like to say that we were relaxed Catholics in that we went to church, but we weren't like praying before everything we ate or we weren't reading the Bible at home for fun, but we were regulars to attend mass. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think something as habitual as that or something that's totally ingrained into your routine as a child is hard to shake. And I mean, there are certain aspects of it that I don't want to shake. There are certain aspects of it that I do understand and that I really uh, understand why people are do gravitate towards it, but um, yeah, I think I just I think I just fo- focus less on making it a worry or a thought or a care in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's a waste of my time, not a waste of everyone's time. Sure, I guess. Sure. You know, I came across honestly some great priests and monks in my Catholic you know, schooling, which was all of it, and like some very smart, very wise people, and you know, and I. Remain close with them, but the religion itself, it's, it's tough. Yeah, I um, my my school is, uh, my, my university was unique because it was both, it had a sister school. So we had uh, uh, intertwined classes and two campuses and everything, but they were technically two separate schools. Yeah. But we also were unique because we had a monastery on um, campus and we had practicing monks. Uh, what order? One of which, Do you remember? Um, ooh, shoot, if you said it. Okay. It would bring a Franciscan, bell, Benedictine. I, oh God, my my dad is going to roast me for this because mm-hmm, he still sends me like the newsletters or like the oh, monks yeah? take, and I how can I not remember it? That's Either okay. way, okay. Um, but we still we still communicate with with a lot of them. A lot of the monks, you know, were professors 
and they still like support everything I do. There are a few of them that love to like catch up and they want to know what I'm up to. They love that like I'm an out gay person. They love that I've you know left left school early to pursue something else. Uh, one of the kids I went to school with, who was going to be my roommate the year before I dropped out, he's now a monk. So like, wow, it's yeah, I know, isn't it crazy? It's yeah. pretty like yeah, it's it's all of it's still intertwined. So I still have a deep love and appreciation for it. Um, when it doesn't, yeah, when it's I guess practiced correctly yeah. or with care, yeah. I would say. I wonder if there's something. You- my um I, my high school was monks it was benedictine monks and nobody that i no one you know for the 5 years ahead of me or 5 years behind me joined the the order but somehow in the last like 10 15 years a ton well not a ton but like maybe one or two every couple classes stays and becomes a monk and i i just wonder whether that's like a reaction to just the the increasing uncertainty of life and just like literally being like no i'm just gonna stay here and i'm gonna you know wear a robe for the rest of my life or what i don't know but the idea of becoming a monk is wild to me yeah there is there's There's something something very attractive simple in a a strange way about it um yeah it's not for me but god bless so how often do you talk to your to your monk former roommate um, no, so he was going to be my roommate. He was, was part of the cross country right. team I was on, mm-hmm. but, um, but no, actually frequently. So, uh, my parents do a road race every year and he came down to run it this last, uh, like a month ago. So I saw him a month ago. And then when I was home in Minnesota in the summer, we drove through and stopped at the campus for the first time in like years. And he was there, of course. Yeah. Uh, so we saw him then and, and yeah, but I get, I get the appeal of it when, we're also deeply intertwined with our technological devices and we feel like there's impending doom yeah. approaching every two seconds. I'm like the idea of disconnecting and just being, I guess, kind of knowing this, you finally have control on a certain certainty over your future and your life. I, that sounds, sounds wonderful. Yeah, it does. But and is he disconnected to the point of i mean does he know who you are does he know about your career oh yeah yeah he still he still has social media but he definitely he i feel like he's just posting like we trimmed the trees today and then like a month later it's so it's it's very low touch i would be actually really interested to see more so like what he's if he's does he have a netflix account what's he watching yeah or if that's not or if he just reads i could see both happening yeah wow so Take us back to uh, the, I don't know, I guess late 90s or 2000s or whatever in, in Wisconsin. Little Connor, um, paint a picture uh, for us of, of of who he was. Little Connor. Little Connor was rambunctious and a little shit. Uh, I was the problem child of the family. I was the one that my mom used to always have her head pointed at the ground with her eyes closed saying, he's going to do something special. He's going to do something special. I <laughs> just praying probably uh because i was always i don't know i was always stirring stirring the pot in the family i was always messing with a sibling i was always putting on little shows for everyone i remember like if something like i remember when the harry potter movies would come out and i would like act out to the trailer the the movie like i would stand in front of the trailer on like the tv and i would like act it out I was so like excited about it and it, it made me feel so alive. So I would do things like that. My family would laugh and think it was hilarious. Um, 
but at the same time, again, that was causing them so much, <laughs> so much stress and chaos. And then somewhere around uh, puberty, it was kind of like the opposite of what I feel like happens to a lot of people. That's when I calmed down. I didn't get more uh, annoying. I got less annoying and people and my family started to like, like me a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. But you weren't, you weren't a problem child. I mean, in terms of uh, getting in trouble in school, no, no. was it that level? No, just exuberant. I say problem child in the, in the Midwestern Minnesotan sense, uh, Catholic yeah. kid sense where it was just like, I was just annoying and loud and you stood out, you stood out, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, yeah, that can be trouble. That yeah. can be a problem. A little too much personality yeah. for Wisconsin. Yeah, he, he's got a little too much personality. Sounds yeah. a little fruity to me, but yeah. <laughs> but you're you listen. You were filled with joy. That's a yeah. thing to be. That's a good yeah, thing to angst. be. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of angst in there. But yeah, no, so that that was me. And then I um and then I calmed down going into high school, leaving my uh small K through eight uh mil, uh middle elementary school, which had around eighty kids in in total Ooh. in the K through eight and go to a high school that had 400 kids in total. Big jump, still very small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay, so like you're talking in eighth grade, there's, I'm not gonna do the math, but there's fewer than 10 kids? We had fewer than 10 kids. I think we graduated with six. Wowee. Okay, so were you, how close were you with them? Um, one, of, one of them is still a really good friend of mine. Uh, and then two, two of them, no idea where they are in the world. And then two of the other ones, I know where they are, but haven't talked to them in years. Okay. Okay. But one of them still talk to all the time. All right. Familiarity sometimes breeds contempt. Then yeah. occasionally friendships develop. I think it's just the, the, it's the nature of life, but it's also, also the nature of like what I've done. I mean, i I'm one of the only people that left in, even in my high school graduating class, let alone my middle elementary school that yeah. left like the state of Minnesota. Yeah. So distance kind of didn't give us a chance. Right. And so then after puberty, uh, we're in the new high school. You have leveled out a bit uh, in terms of your temperament. And, and who is Connor then? Connor then was very quiet and... Uh, relied on his his friends to be his personality, I suppose, to a certain extent, which is funny because I was also somehow very well liked amongst everyone in the school. And the only reason I know that is because I was voted like homecoming king. But at the same time, I was not a personality. I was not someone standing up and giving confident speeches like everyone in this classroom likes me. No, I was terrified. Um, I had very good grades, but I would not consider myself like the smart kid. I was really good at sports, but I was never the best at sports. So it was always this thing of like, a, I, had an, I had an identity, but I also didn't at the same time know what it was. It, I relied very much on the people around me to like, tell me what to like and who to be for high school specifically. Yeah. I think that's common. And how does that, how, yeah. But, and, but how does that guy become homecoming King? Do you think it, is it just good old fashioned likability? I think, I think there was like a perfect storm of, I was the new kid, but I was also, I was the new kid quote unquote, even though I lived in the town, I was the new kid for, that people got to know. But then also I was like a really nice calm kid at that point. So it was easy for me to relate to anybody because I was good at sports. I did have like a 4.0. Um, 
and then also i loved nerdy things like you know i was deeply involved on the internet and in, in chat forums and all of that so i could relate to like i remember so many moments uh where i would be partnered up with you know one of the less quote-unquote cool kids or the one of like the quote-unquote weirdos and i was like we have a lot in common. Like, it seems like you, it's like, you know that YouTuber? I know that YouTuber. You like that anime? I like that anime. So that's why I was like, I would never, I don't know why. I think I w- it was more popular in the sense that everyone liked me, but not popular in the sense that I was like the most liked. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? There, yeah, it was just hard, hard for people to not like you, it sounds like. I guess. Which makes sense. So uh, you were already a deeply online kid, but tell us about the birth of your career like how how deliberate of an approach how much ambition was attached to it when you first started i think more than i give myself credit for you know how like when someone asks you something that's been a facet of your life for a really long time you just tell you like regurgitate an answer you never really think about it you just constantly say it and eventually it becomes the truth i think for the longest time i've always told people that there was no intention for it to be anything but I don't think that's authentic. I think I was so well versed in the internet and in internet culture, watching YouTubers, watching social media people being like, oh, the ones that are doing really well, they have a a Twitter, a Facebook, a MySpace, and a YouTube. Oh, they seem to promote their videos like this. Oh, they, they seem to do thumbnails like this. Like in a way, subconsciously or consciously studying how to be popular how the popular people did it and in a way mimicking what they did so there was no intention or i guess there was no i never thought i would be as big as as i am but there was definitely intention behind each post that i put out uh and there's i guess strategy in a way as well but but yeah no i started i started making videos when i was 17 so my junior year of high school no one was even really watching youtube then let alone Uh, putting stuff on YouTube. So it was a big like secret. I would do my homework. I mean, I would, I would finish school. I would go to cross country practice or swim team practice, come home, do my homework. And like around 9, 10 PM, everyone else would be going to bed. I would lock the door and I would start making YouTube videos and like editing them. And then, you know, 1am would roll around and then I would go to bed, wake up at at 5am for swim practice, all like all this stuff. It was, it was just like, so addicting to be a part of that cycle the energy of youth um what was your first video my first video was a video about my first video oh okay <laughs> it was just like Tell it, us everything. It, it, like I, I think the opening line is just like hello world this is my youtube channel uh i don't know what i'm going to do but it's going to be a lot of fun or i hope it's going to be a lot of fun it was just like the quickest little yeah introduction yeah and what was the first one that that really exploded? Mm, I I never really know the answer to this question. I I had I never had like until my coming out video like an ultra viral video, but I had a really steady increase in views. So it was like the first year, all the videos were getting maybe a hundred views or something, not a lot. Second year, it was like maybe a thousand. Third year, it was like oh now they're all getting like twenty thousand. And then fourth year, it was like oh now they're all getting a million. It was just like this crazy crazy incline but there was never one video that all of a sudden i everything else from then on went crazy viral well let's talk about your coming out video um 
because uh, it was 2014, I believe, <laughs> and uh, you come. It's a very emotional, uh, you know, coming out video with I think over 12 million views or something mm-hmm. in, in that range. Um, so, where take us back to the headspace you were in when it, it, sort of the build up to making that. Yeah, I mean, coming out videos were be- were becoming a thing at that time. They weren't already necessarily a thing. So looking back on it, it's like a totally different environment to be a part of. So it's sometimes, you know, people, it's not that they make fun of it nowadays, but they think like, why would you make a coming out video? It seems so showboaty. But at the time, there weren't many uh, videos representing the queer community. So it seemed like a very important thing to do. Uh, and a very scary thing to do because no one else had, I guess, blazed that trail in a way. But um, so I re- I came out to the first person in my life at the beginning of 2014. And I came out to everyone in the world at the end of 2014. So that's kind of how quick my process happened. Yeah. Uh, it, was a, it was very, very fast, uh, very wild, uncontrollable ride that I put myself on. And I think... I'm, it's one of the only times in my life I didn't overthink something and I just let it happen. Because uh, nowadays I'm I'm always making sure that everything is like the right decision. I'm a little bit of a control freak, a little bit of a you know type A Virgo who just like wants everything to be organized and perfect. But at the time after I had released that control and I told uh, a friend on his couch in January, I believe, of 2014, it was like the the feeling of relief. It was almost like releasing 20 years of stress and anxiety. I thought, oh my God, I need to like, I just need to do this. I need to, I told another person a few days later, I told the whole group of people a couple weeks later, told my family a couple weeks after that. And it was just like, oh, this is great. Like, even if there's a bad reaction, this feels, I finally feel at ease. And were there bad reactions? Um, No, I, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, I think I'm a product of what can happen if you are surrounded by the right people or if people react positively to you because I was never stifled by a negative reaction or criticism necessarily in my personal life or in my public life. I, you know, no one ever said, no one ever, there were, even though I had a lot of religious friends and family, no one ever to my face told me what I was doing was wrong or like sinful or blasphemous or any of those you know words Uh, my family was really great i think the only thing in hindsight is that everyone was accepting but it was definitely uncomfortable for some people and they more didn't know what to say besides like love you and that's it which was all i needed at the time but there was no more uh, exploration of what that meant but the best reaction i had was and she uh and she probably doesn't even realize it was the best reaction, but it was my mom because she said she, her words were after I told her, finally, she said, it's okay. Are you seeing anybody? Like she immediately went into the curiosity of like, what is this life like of yours that I didn't know was your life? And that was, that meant more to me than anything in the world that it wasn't any sort of questions about it. It was more questions like to me about me. Yeah. Was there, you know, this this woman who spent your youth saying he's going to do something special? Was there, <laughs> was she taken by surprise, or did things kind of? Was she like, yeah, no, no one knew. 
Really? You know, I, I yeah, okay. it's very it's it's it could again it could be that Midwestern ignorance uh, because I didn't know many queer people growing up. I didn't know many people that didn't look and talk and act exactly like me to a certain extent. But no, 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 my family had no idea. My friends had no idea. Even my friend group in LA, most didn't have any idea. And so, and I only, again, now am able to look back at videos of me at that time in the closet and say, yeah, it, it, you could definitely tell I was putting on a bit of a show or like my voice was a little bit different. My mannerisms were a little bit different. I was right. very constricted in a way, but no, no one... No one had a clue. Wow. Had them all fooled. Okay. 20 years. Let's talk about those early LA years. How old were you when you moved here? I moved here. So I went to two years, two years of university and then came here for a summer and never left. Mm. So I was probably, what is that? Make me 1920. Wow. That's yeah. young. That's young for LA. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's old enough, but still very young. Okay. Okay. Yeah. How did you keep from getting, you know sucked into the darker side of LA that so many young people do find themselves getting kind of drawn into. I I think it's because everyone that was that was in my friend group and the people that I came here with were all from similar situations. Like I immediately befriended tons of internet people from small towns that moved to LA just for the fun of it. It was less of like finding people who were already savvy to the LA lifestyle and involved in whatever it is that you do in LA as a young person. So I think we all were experiencing it together with um, a little bit more of a wholesome side to it and uh, shyness to it because none of us had experienced anything like LA before. Um, but also, I mean, I think it's a, it's just, you know, it stays true to, I guess, who I am in a way. I never really got involved in anything. I've never really done much of like a you know crazy thing for drinking or drugs or anything like that. And I think it just it's just something I'm not too interested in. Yeah. Um by no means am I like a straight edge person, but I I just it's it doesn't interest me. There are a lot of other things that interest me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's that side that. of the the LA, you know, the LA lifestyle, but then there's also, you know, in the last ten years, I mean, you're not like you're not you're not boxing Jake Paul at the Triller house or whatever. You don't know that. I you guess don't I know don't I do. know that. I guess I don't know that. You don't see what's hiding under the sweater. I guess guns. I guess it's not. guns, boys. But I, I mean, there is that whole world of like you know, influencer houses and and things like that. How I, I mean, were you did that not exist when you moved here? or Did you just push it away? Well, so low key, um, and this is like on the the no no of the internet people who have been around long enough. But like my friend group created influencer houses. Mm. Like we were a part of the first influencer house. Okay, and it was unintentionally that we did that. We moved a bunch of influencers from different towns, and we all moved into a house in Encino. Come on, if you know, you know again. And um, and we started creating content in that house. So we were the the beginning of that that whole thing again without even knowing it there was right. no intention to be this new big thing it was more of just like oh that's a cool idea yeah let's do it and then we just did it we didn't make it a big thing we just did it versus now it's always about big hype up to big thing tell yeah. you about big thing and why big thing is so important yeah. must pay attention to big thing <laughs> yeah okay so how long did you live in this uh, house in Encino? Uh, we we lived there for a year, and I got out as soon as I could. 
was it did it i mean so it, it grew old quickly it sounds like it it just and like this isn't tea everyone knows this i just realized that i'm not like a straight young boy like i don't i like a little bit of order I don't like to be up every single night until 2 a.m. with like strangers walking in and out of my house. I don't like like dirty dishes piled sky high in the sink every day. Like I was like, you know, this is cool and all. Loved this for a minute, but I did this in college for two years. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. So it just wasn't it wasn't the way I operate. But I was I'm still friends with everyone in that who lives in that who lived in that house. Yeah. So we. It it does look like from the little bit we can see in your background that you keep a pretty you run a pretty tight keep ship. It tight. Very American psycho of me. You keep it tight. <laughs> so pristine. Was the was the grind of like feeling like you always need to create content, was that like exhausting? Did you feel that that drive to like just from the minute you wake up, you gotta be doing something? It was pure excitement at the time uh yeah. it was there was i didn't find it exhausting at all for the first you know four or five years that i did it i found it absolutely thrilling yeah it, it was never a thought in my head like oh i have to make another video it was like oh i'm so excited i have so many ideas there's so many things we can do uh be, i think at the time as well because everything like with like the growth of it all um with the the landscape there you know any idea you had was a brand new idea no one had done before so that's something so thrilling about being the first to everything yeah. on the platform um and have it interact so well i mean we would we would make videos in like a few hours and post them and they would have a million views overnight and you know like 10,000 comments and like 200,000 likes and it, it it took us a few hours to make like that's that that is like the reason I didn't do drugs is because that was my drug. Yeah. Like that was yeah. thrilling. Yeah, I'm sure that people could care that much about me. Yeah. And what do you see when you look at like the the sort of the kids who are up and coming now or are trying to break through? Because it's such a specific career path where on one hand it seems like the easiest thing to do, but to do it successfully also seems like the hardest thing in the world to do. Yeah, it's. It's funny, it, you know, during the time when I started, no one knew about it, really. And then a few years later, it was pulled by like the New York Times as, as the most sought after career of high schoolers uh, was being an influencer or being a YouTuber or being a TikTok or whatever it was. But it like quickly went from unknown to the most sought after thing anyone wanted to be, which again, it was just such a weird space to be in because it's like, oh, we're doing the thing everyone wants to do. I thought no one knew that we were doing this. Weird. Okay. Yeah. What was your question again? <laughs> like, what, what do you what do you think when you see kids who are trying to break through now? I, th I mean, I think it's good luck. It just seems so hard. Yeah. I, I I can't imagine what it's like to to try to break through when everyone's trying to do it now. I was definitely very lucky to be to break through at a time where not many people were trying. Um, I like how TikTok, in a way is bringing the internet back to its freeform roots because it's very memorable of what of what type of content we were posting at the time very quick simple whatever is happening in that moment you just post about it and if it does well it does well but you don't really care if it doesn't uh a little bit more i guess like raw in a way which i i like i like that it's everything's not being so overproduced but at the same time because it's 
so easy and so accessible. Everyone is doing it. So yeah, I don't, I, I, it, it seems tough. I don't, I don't envy anyone getting into it right now. Yeah. yeah I, have a, I have a friend who has a, a daughter who's 10 now. And in the last couple of years, her, her favorite thing has been to play YouTuber. So like he'll pass by her bedroom and she'll be going, Hey guys. And like, you know, hit that button and all that kind of thing. And it's like, it's, that is, she will not know a world without that. I'm really glad I know a world without it. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that, you know, I grew up, I was born in 1992. So I had my nineties childhood, my early two thousands childhood where cell phones weren't even a thing. You yeah. know, the internet of course wasn't a thing. And if it was, it was dial up and took 20 years to just start up. Yeah. So I like that I have that perspective and I'm really grateful for it. Sure. Do people come to you for guidance? The young ones? Yeah, fre frequently, actually. I, um, I'll do, you know, I still, still make tons of content. So I'll, I'll get it frequently, like a DM or for if I'm doing something in person, it'll be like, oh, I, you know, I watched everything you ever did, blah, blah, blah now I'm doing it. But, and, you know, just like, it seems like... I'm trying to think of what I would compare it to, but it, it does seem like I'm I'm now in my generation of of internet people are looked at as the 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 trailblazers, yeah. um, the like internet elders in a way. And there's the elder statesmen. Yeah. I, I'm I appreciate the level of respect a lot of people have for us. Uh it's it's really kind of them to have that. So I'm I'm always more than happy to to help anyone out or to give some advice who's up and coming who should we be watching who should we be consuming oh god who's like i'm so bad at this of like who's actually up and coming um or god. who do you watch who it, maybe that is even established it, established for sure i would say like newer to the scene um britney broski is absolutely fantastic and hilarious she's started on um, TikTok, I guess, just like the internet in general, but now she's kind of omnipresent. She's on every platform. She's very, very funny, uh, just genuinely unique and hilarious and everything that she does. Very smart too. Um, and then everyone knows her now, but I still appreciate her, her content a lot. Um, I've been watching her since she had like 10,000 subscribers. Emma Chamberlain is another one. Okay. Emma's really fantastic. Uh, and then who do I like? Um, I forget her name, but I love on TikTok. There's this uh, girl who lives on the East Coast who's who does foraging. Oh. <laughs> she forages for fo for food. She's amazing. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I forget her name. Yeah, she's great. I love her. Who'd she's really blown up. Who'd have imagined we'd come around to foraging content? It's so great. She's just yeah. She's always finding a new mushroom. <laughs> great. That's what we need. So when you came out to your mom and her first question was, are you seeing anyone? Um, what was your answer? At the time? Yeah, I was. So that was also really weird because I'm like, um, like, we'll go into that later. I'm like, just just trying to like compartmentalize the fact that I just told you this thing that I've been wanting to tell you for years. So I'm like, thanks for the question. Really appreciate it. Maybe in like a couple weeks. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. And so was that a significant relationship? It was, yeah. It was a very significant relationship in my life. <laughs> Shockingly, you would think that like one of your um, your first oh, a gay relationships, especially one in the closet, wouldn't maybe necessarily 
be be long, but that one was very long. Yeah. Well, it's intense. There's a lot of, you know, there's years of backed up emotion that you got to point at somebody, you know, that's uh, mm-hmm. that can bond you in a pretty intense <laughs> way, you know, intense way or in like absolute destruction. Or in right. total chaos. Yeah. It goes one yeah. of two ways. Yeah. When did you both come? Wow. Yeah. When did come out? Um, or did you not have to? Uh, no, definitely had to. I came out to friends kind of in high school and then family seen between junior and senior year of college. Wow. Yeah, I was between, I was freshman year of college and no one was yeah. surprised. Everybody was sort of just like, oh, finally. You, yeah. yeah. Pretty anticlimactic. Yeah. Do you like that response or do you not like the response of, because I'm always conflicted on when people say like, we know. I'm like, yeah, and I do hear people when we have these conversations, people find that sometimes to be offensive or like that they're, I don't know. But it, for me, not at all. It felt like a relief. It felt like, okay, well, they, they know me. They've, 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 they've loved me as I am, you know, and they've been patient. And so, you know, that's, that's how I experienced mm-hmm. it. Also, like if you saw pictures of me when I was a kid and I grew up in a very small town, I was friends with, you know, everybody knew me from my like fourth grade Wizard of Oz birthday party. And when I went to school dressed as the Wicked Queen from Snow White, you know, I was that kid. So a theater queen. Yeah, I had I I was lucky enough to have I went to a Catholic all boys school and there were 50 of us in, in each class and it, it was seventh to twelfth and in seventh grade Madonna came out like her first album or I guess like a virgin was released the second album and uh and there were like five or six of us who really took to it you know what I mean and we kind of found each other and and hang out with hung out with one another and then over time we were for sure the gay boys of the class and and you know and close friends so we kind of had that you know, to, you know, to the rest of the world, we were not out, but like to each other, we could relax a little bit. Yeah. So that, that was, that was super helpful, but uh, that camaraderie is it's, nice. It's real good. It's yeah. I'm very lucky. So what is the answer to the question? Are you seeing somebody now? Oh, I wish I could tell you. I'm just not an open book in that way. Oh, okay. We keep it, Ooh. we keep it close to the vest Ooh. in 2021 Ooh. in the COVID era. <laughs> I know. I think I let it slip on another podcast, but I'm like, so yes. nah, I mean, I feel huh? so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, you don't know that answer. No. I kind of like that. You don't, I okay. kind of like that. You don't know. Okay. Um, but no, I mean, like, it's just one of those things where I, I think it's like one relationships in general, like platonic or romantic are things that I do like to hold close to my chest uh-huh. because it's since my entire life is in a way publicized, that's kind of the name of the game. Yeah. It's like, there's some things that I like to try to hold hold for myself yeah respect that <laughs> just for myself yeah yeah because of a lot of people in your position it is another opportunity to create content in a way that to me seems terrifying yeah. I, but uh it sounds like that's uh, something you want to avoid it seems like it would be the end of the of the fictional or real relationship wouldn't it i don't know how yeah. you're just up for public scrutiny it's the same with like mothers going through pregnancy i'm like oh you're you're just opening yourself to criticism and everything that you do if you're publicly saying what you're doing someone would be like oh that's not right i read that somewhere mm-hmm. i feel bad for anyone for sure for in that sure. situation so tell us about house fires house fires yes my third book it's um house fires is a collection of 
short narratives, poetry, and film photography over the last five years of my life. Uh, it depicts uh, my struggles with mental health, my struggles with identity, um, and in general, I write a lot about my my journey with being curious with the world versus afraid of it. So a lot of you know the chapters, whether it be again mental health or religion or identity, just in some way dives into my new take on something I was so afraid to really look at with a with a magnifying glass in a way and and what my relationship is with that topic now. And when it comes to I mean, I know you have spoken openly a lot about struggles with mental health. When it comes to that now, where are you and what's your sort of approach to treatment and, and, and healing? I'm, I, I feel like I've, I have the routine down to avoid any sort of spiraling. I think for the longest time when I went through like a really, really deep depression, like a um, I, I write a lot about it because it, it's just so undescribable unless you've been there. It sounds like something that if you have, if you haven't been there, you can understand, but I'm like, no, you don't like it's, it's crippling. It's, I cannot, I feel like I'm a heavy bag of sand on my couch. I can't get myself off of it type of feeling. Um, and at that time it was a lot of avoiding going to therapy, eventually going to therapy, avoiding getting on medication, eventually getting on medication, avoiding talking about it, eventually talking about it. So it was a lot of this back and forth, this tug of war. And, um, you know, it's like people say, eventually, once you address the problem and start actually actively trying to fix it, it does genuinely get better. So the the medication at one point really helped me pick me up, and then I could get off of it. And then I could have my routine to keep me in my um, stability therapy was the same thing. But in present day, honestly, just it's just me with my routine keeps me out of it. I go for runs every day. I go for walks every night. Uh, and that kind of like, wind up and wind down for the day really keeps me stable. <laughs> yeah. The cross country kid has, uh, has kept his habits clean yeah. throughout did, the years. I respect I did 13 it. Mile, I did 13 miles right before this call. So well done. Well Thank done you. on these chilly LA mornings. I know it was brisk the other I'm day. I'm telling you a brisk 52. It's perfect running weather. It's great. Are you a music when you run person or are you a silence when you run person? Absolute silence. Mm. No, I don't bring my phone or anything. Wow. No phone. No phone, no nothing. Wow. Analog. And do people, I mean, because I mean, West Hollywood, it's, it, it, there is a lot of foot traffic. I mean, for LA. So are, do you get stopped when you're running? I get a lot of like honks or like quick turns and like yelling, but never like anyone actually trying to stop me. And it's, or I'll get a lot of like, I'll come back and I'll see tweets of being like, I saw you on La Brea. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh God, I forget that every car that passes me, there's that like someone could be looking at me. Sure. I can look at the car and someone's looking at me. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, no one, everyone's actually very sweet. It's never been like a, a problem or a bother. So Los Angeles, when you see Connor Franta running the streets, give him a polite wave and keep moving. Yeah, I love it. It's very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> 13 miles in silence sounds very challenging. 
for me for someone who never has silence it's my way of meditating i get i get why people do morning meditation or evening meditation uh because that's my time where you know the first little bit of it is a little bit painful of just like oh, i wish i could listen to a podcast or music or something but after you get in a rhythm uh you really just get you can get lost in your thoughts even if it's a, an absolute boring thought sometimes i'll just be thinking about like something i have to work like i have to write an uh an essay after this and i was like okay how do i want to begin the essay and even if it, i'm gonna forget it by the end of the run it still keeps my brain busy and thinking and forgetting what i'm doing yeah. and you really get get lost yeah that's important it's great connor thank you so much for being here house fires is the book available everywhere books are sold do you have a favorite retailer Favorite retailer. I like, we've been doing a lot of indie store promotion. Okay. Um, those are on conorfrantabooks.com. Right. But if you, if you want accessibility, it's, it's anywhere from Amazon to Target to, to Barnes & Noble. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you on the streets. <laughs> yes. Homophilia is a World of Wonder production, produced and edited by Kate Moldenhauer. Special thanks to Randy Barbato, Fenton Bailey, Stephen Sims, Edward Bochniak, and the whole team at World of Wonder. We love you. And theme music by my Ben Wise. Yes, uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HomophiliaPod. You can give us a five-star review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Mm. Thank you for listening. We love you. We love you.